Well, today, my wife, um, go ahead and play some keys for us, Chad. I know I told, I told him not to ne- that last service, but uh, let's do it. Uh, my wife and my daughter are coming home. They're watching online right now. They're in California, and they'll be home tonight. I have missed you, both of you. But, Carrie, I have really missed you so much. Please come home. I'm going to have dinner made for you when you get home. I'm going to make stuffed bell peppers with rice and turkey and cheese. I mean, me or the kids will make it. Either way, you're going to have dinner, baby, when you get home. So, uh, and if you're watching online, I love you too, even if I'm not married to you. Welcome. The Exchange Church is a place where purpose is awakened and developed. And so I know that we have several first-time guests here today, and I thank you for being here. And if we can answer any questions about the church, please ask anyone. All, all of the family here, we, we get it. You know, we get it. We get what it means to be a part of the exchange church and, and be Jesus with skin on to the congregation. So we are in a series called God on Film, and this is part two. Today, the title is, if you couldn't guess, The Lion King and the Circle of Life. The Lion King movie is coming out. It's scheduled to be released July 19th, 2019. And yes, but there is a movie called The Lion King that's been around for quite some time. How many of you, well, let's do this way. Is there anyone here that has never, ever, ever seen The Lion King? Raise your hand. There's a few, there's a few. It's not just Sherry that's weird. Wait, wait, raise your hand if you've never seen The Lion King, you are really, you are missing out. Austin, I'm so sorry, man. You are missing out. Um, Well, you get a chance uh, to see it on July 19th of this year. The original came out in 1994, and my daughter and son were alive. I was actually, actually, I was married in 1994, so that was a great year. And, um, in The Lion King, for those oddballs that have never seen it, let me explain it to you. The Lion King is killed by Scar. And Scar is the uncle to the Lion King's son, Simba. And so Simba thinks it's his fault that his dad is killed because the way Scar set it all up. So Simba runs off and he isolates because he doesn't... He doesn't want the pride to know. He doesn't feel worthy. He doesn't feel valuable. And he he grows up with Timon and Pumbaa, right? And it's a great life. I mean, it's fun. Akuna Matatas, no worries, right? But there comes a time where the calling of who he is is drawing him back to where he needs to be. And, And we'll talk more about what that looks like with Rafiki. Anyone know Rafiki? With Rafiki and... And then he, he goes and he decides that it's time to step up and be all that God has called him to be. He understood that he came from a legend, and now it's time to step into the role of a legend. And so as I looked at that movie, I really wanted to take you to an incredible piece of text in Scripture, Psalm 136. It's, oh my God, it's so pivotal in the, in the Jewish community Uh, the feast, all of the Jewish feast. Uh, 136, I'm getting ahead of myself, but 136 will tell us a lot about 
where we stand in worship, who God is, what worship looks like, and what goes on forever. But first, let me just lay out the big idea of the message. So if you learn nothing else today among all the smoke that's in the air, you can take this home with you. The big idea of today's message is celebrating God's goodness. Everybody say goodness. Celebrating God's goodness will transform us into his image. If you can do nothing else but celebrate his goodness, it will transform you into his image. And I'm going to prove that to you. But I wouldn't dare do that without first asking Holy Spirit. And I know you stepped into the room. When service started at 11 and your prophetic word went out and, and people were called to respond even as we kicked off the service. God, you were here. You were here to meet the needs of your people. God, I thank you for that encounter and I thank you that we're transitioning even into a, another encounter in this moment. Over the next 25 minutes, God, you're, you're doing something among us. I don't know what it is yet. I can't see it. I can't perceive it yet, but I can feel it in my bones, God, that you're in the room. So God, I ask that you would come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let the church say amen. Amen. So let's, I gave you notes. If you don't have notes, our ushers are standing by. Everyone would like their own notes because I've given you fill in the blanks and I've given you some scripture that we're going to compare and contrast. And even if you don't take the notes home with you, it will be helpful just to have it in front of you. So if you don't have notes and would like them, will you just wave a hand at the air, in the air? Okay, here's one. Oh, really, we must have covered everyone well, or no one's into notes these days. Okay, we've got a few. All right, good. So let's, let's uh, jump right into, you know, well, first of all, I suppose Scar, I didn't tell you the part that he was a very unhealthy leader very dysfunctional ruler. He would not rule justly. Instead, he, he failed to serve others with kindness and with mercy. Scar murdered others so that he could rule and he could oppress so that he could have it all, right? If you saw the Lion King, how many of you remember Scar? That was his only goal, to have it all. And he would end it at nothing, right? To have it all. Now, most of us in the room, we have goals and ambitions and, and dreams and desires, but the reality is most of us would probably never kill to get what we want, right? And if you would, please identify yourself. <laughs> um, while we wouldn't kill, we're probably all tempted to live somewhat a selfish life or self-reliant life or self-centered life. And maybe life is a long word. Maybe we're tempted to go through self-reliant seasons, selfish seasons, um, egocentric thoughts. We, we can make them smaller and smaller until we all can kind of agree on the fact that that's kind of human nature, right? It was, after all, pride that caused the fall of man. It was, pride was the the thing, the initial sin that everything snowballed from, anything you can label as sin started out as pride. 
that I can do anything, be anything, think anything, act however I want, say whatever I want. You can't tell me, only God can tell me. Like every sin starts out with some level of self-reliance, self-righteousness, self-centeredness, egocentric. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Like the reality is like an adultery or adulterous situation doesn't just have, you don't just wake up, Chad, one morning. You're not married, but this is what doesn't happen. You don't just wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to have an affair today, right? Adulteries, if you've done it, there's grace for you. If your marriage is struggling through that and you're healing from that, let me just tell you, you're in the best place that you can be for that situation. And if you're feeling wounded right now because of adultery, being connected to that somehow, can I just tell you that there is hope beyond the darkness that you currently feel? And I am, I'm so excited for you because you are in a, a perfect position for healing to happen. But the reality is adultery way back here didn't just start out with adultery. It started weeks and months and years earlier with selfish and prideful thoughts of I don't need to consider others. I just need to consider what I want. Or this is right. If it's not right for you, that's okay. But this is right for me. That's how it all. That's how it starts. You see, it didn't look like adultery back then. It looked like you standing up for your rights. But somehow, you standing up for your rights turned into you standing up for what you want, regardless of the cost. Psalm one thirty six. I don't even know how I got on that. Psalms one thirty six. Verse 1, let's read that, the NIV 2011. It's right before you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His, what's that next word? Love endures forever. All right, that's in the NIV 2011. I like the NIV. I thank you for that verse. You can remove it. I'm just reading verse 1. I like the NIV uh, a lot. However, in this particular verse, I don't really like the NIV. I think there's, there's more clarity we can get. I think they've somewhat, not mistranslated it, I think it can be translated a bit deeper. So can I take you a little bit deeper with that word, love? I mean, love is great. Love is one of those, we, we all love stuff. We love our wife, we love our kids, we love ice cream, right? Love is for everything, it's great. But let's go a little bit deeper in that word. If I take you, not to the NIV, but to the KJV, Psalm 136.1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy. Everybody say mercy. His mercy endureth forever. So in the NIV, what was the word? Love. In the King James Version, the original, original text, it was what? Mercy. Okay, we're kind of starting to paint a broader picture of what might be meant. Now I'm taking you to the Amplified, Psalm 136, verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his... Do you, oh, you guys don't... Oh, it's in before you. Good thing it's before you, because it's not on the screens. His mercy and loving kindness endure forever. So in the NIV, it's what? In the KJV, it's what? And in the Amplified, it's what? Mercy and loving kindness. Now that loving kindness, we can translate into grace. Mercy and grace, okay? Psalm 136, remember how I told you at the beginning of the sermon that this is a really pivotal, critical 
block of text in Scripture. Rabbis call this the great Hallel, the great Hallel. It's, it's praise, basically. Um, and if we look at that word that I've been having you repeat, love, mercy, loving kindness, it all flows from one word in the Hebrew. And that Hebrew word is chaset. Now, my Hebrew is not that great, but I'm going to teach it to you. Chaset. Okay? Chaset. You pretend you got a little something, something. Chaset. Say it. Chaset. Chaset. Good. That's good. That's Hebrew. That's the Hebrew word chaset. And it means kindness, merciful. An example of this, merciful. Um, let me see. Merciful would be your kids don't clean up their room and they should have a consequence, but you don't give them the consequence because you're having a good day, right? Right? That would be merciful. They deserve the consequence, but you don't give it to them. Chased, right? But then chased is from a root word, which takes us a little bit even deeper in this word and opens it up just a little bit more for us to understand. And instead of chased, it is chasad, chasad. I know you're not going to remember this, but this word means literally, quite literally, to bow the neck. Bow the neck. The first one is kindness, mercy, merciful. This one is to bow the neck. What, what, is, what do you picture? We're all going to picture something. What do you picture when you think of bowing the neck? Do you think of like one of those birds that have the long necks that just... I happen to think of my son. Jordan. Jordan is the drum, one of the drummers that we have. Oh, Jordan, 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 hi. Jordan turned 17 this week, everybody. Well done. I knew you could do it. Jordan, stand up for us. Jordan turned 17. When, when I talk to Jordan a lot and I give, I'm expecting a reply, uh, instead of like verbally saying anything, Jordan will bow the neck. He'll be like, Right, Jordan? See? It's just instinct. If you ask him, if you say, hey, did you have fun on your birthday? He'll be like, yeah. It's just, he dips that neck in. It's awesome just to watch, and he's a drummer, and it's nice. Anyway, you can have a seat, Jordan. Hey, congratulations on 17. I'm proud of you. Um, Hasad is to bow the neck. That sounds an awful lot like grace to me. You know, when you're driving on I-35 or God forbid, Mopac, and, and you're in your lane and somebody wants to get in front of you, but traffic is crazy, and, and you decide you're going to let them in. You're like, okay, come on with your bad self. Get in. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow to you. Great. I'm giving, I'm giving you something you don't deserve. Or maybe you picture in your, your head something like this, you know, how a karate match, somebody's bowing to one another. It's this submission state, this thing of like, I could possibly take you out, but instead, I'm not. Asad. Mercy and grace. So Psalm 136, the Hallel is our statement of God's nature. In other words, 
in Psalm 136, which we, at every feast, we're looking back at God and we're celebrating God. We're thanking him for what he's done and what he's about to do. We could go to one Psalm 136 and actually begin to read through it and do exactly what they did back then. In fact, we're going to do that because Psalm 136 is an antiphony. An antiphony is a fancy word for, it's a congregational song where there's a choir director and a choir. So line one would be the choir director, and then the refrain would be the choir. And so it's going to repeat throughout. Who do you think is the choir director? And who's the choir? Us. Okay. So your part of this is going to be In the second part of the verse, Psalm 136, we'll start with verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, if you can't see that far, good news. The line just says, his love endures forever about 25,000 times. So when I point to you, what are you going to say? But in your mind, you're going to think, love Mercy, grace, loving kindness, compassion. Are you with me? Come on now. I've just, I spent a lot of effort building up to this moment where you get tired of saying this, but in your mind, you're hearing all of the, not just love, you're hearing mercy, you're hearing grace, you're hearing justice, you're hearing compassion, you're hearing all of these things together. Okay, you ready? <clears throat> me, 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 me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love forever. Okay. Listen. Uh, the way you're doing it is... Uh, it's, it's like, um, mm, oh, I won the lottery. Do you know what I mean? If you won the lottery, hey, mom... I won the lottery. That's how you're acting. And his love endures forever. Get, get excited. And his love endures forever. If you get really excited, I'll get the front row of these youth to dance and jump around for us while we're saying it, okay? Let's start on verse 8. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the original gangster, I'm sorry, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to a servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate. And freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. 
Give thanks to God of heaven. His love endures forever. So much so that we have found the place in Scripture that God has allocated an entire chapter of very repetitive words to make sure that you and I walk away with the full knowledge and understanding that part of his character and his nature, which he cannot deny, is that his mercy and his grace last forever. Forever is a very long time. And guess what? Forever means before you made that mistake, his mercy was ready to catch you. Before you said that thing, his mercy was ready for you. Before that addiction took hold, his grace was preparing a way of escape. Before that divorce ever hit the courts, his mercy and grace was ready to include you in the forever. Even when we get the diagnosis from the doctor, you can rest assured that his grace, that which you do not deserve, is ready to be handed to you. Because one thing he cannot do, he cannot deny himself and his mercy and his grace will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and ever, and ever. And even when you want him just to give up on you, it's still there. Even when you're tired of running and you wish that he would walk away, it's still there. Even when you've done that thing 10,000 times that you swore you wouldn't do, his mercy and grace lives on and 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 your thing isn't powerful enough to stop the and on and on and on and your past is not powerful enough to be a speed bump for his on and on and on and your decisions cannot break the on and on and on and on and your fear will not disrupt the on and on and on do you hear me God cannot not be God. In the movie, Lion King, I think I want to show you a clip. I think I have time to show you a clip. Take, take a look at this clip from... The movie, it's Mufasa and Simba clip from The Lion King. Boy. Bye. Hey, wait. You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope. Wrong again. He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. 
That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in forgotten me no how can that be you have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me how can I go back I'm not who I used to be remember who you are you are my son remember who you are when we look at Psalm 136 it it is a digest of who God is it's worship it's worship worship is rooted in history what God has done. I, I don't know your story, but I know my story. And my story is that God has rescued me time and time and time again. He and I have a history. He has a history of rescuing me, and I have a history of needing rescued. We, we go way back with this. Worship in, in this text, in verses 1 through 9, sorry, Worship is rooted in history like we see all through the verses, not just 1 through 9, 1 through 26. It is spiritual heritage, and our worship is also driven by courage, understanding that there is a future for us. So we don't worship God because we're scared of our tomorrow. We have someone in our church family that's having surgery this Wednesday. You guys can be praying for Dolores Alvarado. We're believing huge things, great things for her. She's had a, a long road. She was up most of the night, last night, in pain. And I had the, I had the pleasure of, of seeing that she, I was up till four because I'm on steroids uh, legally for my, I have an injury. And uh, so I wasn't able to sleep. I went to bed at four and I just happened to see as I was heading to bed, I was like, oh, I'll check and see what's on social media. And she was up in pain. And so I was able to pray over her. As many of you I saw prayed over her. Wednesday is a big day for her. But it's not a day to fear. It's a, it's a moment to step in with courage, understanding that God is for us, that no matter the circumstances that life throws our way, that we are sons and daughters, so we can approach tomorrow with courage. The Bible describes courage as um, good cheer, almost as if you can laugh at the days to come because the Lord goes before you. Worship our worship is not really worship if it's not expressed with awe and wonder, gratitude and humility. If we're not surprised 
the fact that the God in heaven can use you and I, if we're not, if we're not in a place of awe and wonder, I'm not sure our connection with God, how powerful it is when we understand the, the magnitude of this holy God in heaven who can use someone like me, someone like you, with, with all of our faults, with all of the words that leave, leave our mouth and we wish we could push them back in, with all of the things that we've done, the things that we're going, like that God can use us. And guess what? He enjoys it. Eric, he enjoys it. You're like, you're like his buddy. You, you know what I'm saying? Like Blanca, he looks at your family and he enjoys coming and just sitting in the room with your friend, even Luis, even with Luis there. God just loves it. God loves it. Like we should find it in our hearts an honor, the highest honor to worship a God who loves to be a part of our world. In, in verses one through nine, it describes who God is as the creator. He brings forth Our God can bring something from nothing. So if you don't know how to worship God, by the way, you, you can always worship the fact that he can make something out of nothing. I'm thankful for that. I am thankful that God can make something out of nothing. He is the creator. And then if you go back and you read verses 10 through 12, he becomes the redeemer. The redeemer. He brings us out. That's what a redeemer does. He brings us out of captivity. He pays that which needs to be paid. The psalmist wrote nothing about Israel's years of suffering in Egypt or the Lord's judgments against the gods of, Egypt's, but, of Egypt, but focused on the exodus, the brought out. Brought out is the phrase that the Jewish people used to describe the Redeemer. They were brought out in that moment. In verses 13 through 16, he becomes our shepherd where he brings us through. Aren't you glad that the shepherd brings us through? He doesn't send us through. He brings us through. He goes with us through the wilderness, with us through the sea, with us with a cloud and a pillar of fire. In verses 17 through 22, he becomes our conqueror, the conqueror. He brings us in, brings us in to our promised land. You see, many of us think that the way it happens is God conquers the promise and then he delivers the promise. That's not actually what happens. God brings us into our promise. That's what the conqueror does. The conqueror conquers the process. So where I'm at now to get to my promise, the conqueror conquers every step to bring us into the promise that he has for us. He is our conqueror. That's something that you can worship him for. And maybe, maybe you don't have the miracle that you want, but can you worship him for the miracle that you already are? I mean, can you just worship him for what he's already done for you? I, I know you're not this thing that you want to be down the road. I know you're not making the amount of money that you want. You don't have the career that you want. You, you don't have the man or the wife that you want. I get, I get all of that, but can, 
Can you just worship him because he has been faithful to be the conqueror for you and he has brought you into this season of your life? And then in verses 23 through 25, the deliverer, the deliverer. It's interesting that once they reached the promised land, they still needed a deliverer. The deliverer, he brings us back. You see, as the deliverer, he doesn't bring us out. That's not what deliverance is about. Deliverance is about bringing us back. Bringing us back to the heart of God. Bringing us back to the bosom of Abraham. Bringing us back to the nature of our creator. Bringing us back to the first love. I know that when things are going well, we often forget the Lord. And when things grow worse, we come back to him. You don't have to wait for things to get worse to allow the deliverer to work on your behalf. You can worship him now and be brought back to the heart of God. So you have forgotten me, he says. The second point after you have forgotten me, though, is remember who you are. Remember who you are. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is why it's important for you and I to know actually who God is because our lives become hidden in him. If we don't know who he is, we fail to know who we are and we lose our sense of identity if we don't know who he is because as a follower of Jesus, we become hidden in him. So this, my friends, is the circle of life for us to know him and to know who we are. And when we see him, we see us. And when we hear him, we hear us. And when we feel him, we feel us. And when we know the identity of him, we then can discover the identity of who we are. You see, we've been so busy trying to create an image of God in our own image. We get to know who we want to become rather than what he's called us to be, and we form some kind of mystical theory based on what we want and what we think and what we believe. But the Deliverer is calling you back today to the heart of God, to the precepts of God, to the truth of God. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Every head that is bowed and eyes closed. God, I just thank you. God, I just thank you for this moment. God, Psalm 136, where we can know you and we know that your faithfulness goes on and on and on and your, your mercy and your grace goes on and on and on. And God, I thank you that we have the ability to worship you, worship you for the history and all that you have done for us, God, worship you with courage, knowing that tomorrow is in your hands and your plans for us are good, and worship you with awe and wonder, amazed at the ability of you to partner with us. And God, as we worship you, as we see you, we are transformed into your image, because what we behold, we become. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Amen. God bless you. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning?